0: Genesis chapter two, if you, if you haven't joined us, it's taken a while to get to Genesis chapter two. We've been in Genesis one for the past uh, number of weeks, looking at creation and what the, the purpose, why we're in the beginning of the Bible at this time is we want to build a biblical worldview. We want to see life through scripture, have an understanding of what God would have us do, how he'd have us live, what he'd have us to be about. in in this day and age with scripture as our authority. So we've been looking at the six days of creation right from Genesis 1-1. I'm wondering, does anyone here who's been with us have Genesis 1-1 memorized? In in the beginning was God and I think I messed it up. (laughs) In the beginning, someone help me out here. No, that's not Okay, I love that. I heard a bunch of people say that. (laughs) So we're in Genesis 1, 1, and and all the way day, day 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6. And then now here we're in day 7. And what we've seen is God is the creator. He is the sovereign one. He is over everything. And he's made all things. He made the earth, he made the trees, he made the birds in the sky and the animals on the land and the fish in the sea, and he made the sun, the moon, and the stars. He made everything. And then he made man and woman in his own image, in his own likeness. And he made us with a purpose. He made us with a function. He made us to rule over the animals. He made us, he also provided what we need in fruits and vegetables. <laughs> as we looked at this past week, he made us, he blessed us and he said, be fruitful and multiply in everything that God did, he said, is very good. So everything we talk about, like God does things that are very good. That's what he does. And he made everything. And day seven, God rested. That's like, well, who cares? Three, three verse. God rested. But I don't know about you, like we're, we're busy people. We're doing lots of things. Go, 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 go. If you ask someone usually, how's it going? Like busy. How about you? Bu- oh, busy, busy. That's our answer. It's like a badge of honor. We are just busy people running this way and that. Is, is anyone tired? Anyone drained? Our weeks just meld together one more week until March. Can you believe it? Often we're like working towards like sometime in the future, there's a rest, there's a holiday that I'm like running towards as fast as I can because I want to be exhausted by the time I get there, so I can just oh take a breather and let's keep going. If only God had made a day to rest. (laughs) I want us to see the significance of day seven. And as we look at it, I want us to pull a thread, if you will, through scripture. And as we do, just kind of briefly look at Old Testament, obviously Sabbath rest. What does it say in the New Testament? What can we learn? What can we apply to our lives about rest, biblical rest? And then ultimately, I want to just point you to Jesus Christ, our true rest. So that's where we're going to be going this evening. If you want to stand with me as we read Genesis 2, 1 to 3. May God bless his word to our souls this evening. You can have a seat. So this, this first section, as we look at it, I want you to see what God made was finished. It was complete. What God starts, God finishes. Amen to that, right? What God starts, God finishes. I don't know about you. That's not true of me. <laughs> like I just, I can think of many examples. One in our house I was going to build a boot room out of our garage. And uh, I think a week ago, I, I almost finished painting it. And it's something I should have been doing in like the fall. <laughs> so I'm, I still haven't done it. I don't know about you. If you have any of those little jobs around the house or things in your life, but what God starts, he finishes and he brought this to completion. I don't know about you and your Bible. If you have a gap between day six and day seven, I don't know what, in my Bible, for whatever reason, because chapter two, there's a gap in scripture, but there shouldn't be a gap at all in our Bibles. It's the first part of the week of creation. After day six comes day seven. However, in, in the Hebrew, there is kind of, it, it is set apart as special as, as you know, if you've been with us, I've, I've kind of hammered home on day one. In the Hebrew, it says, ade, there was evening, there was morning, day defining what a literal day is. And then a second day, a third day, I made a big deal and you get to the sixth day. No other day has done front. It's like setting apart. It's highlighting it. And that's the same. That's true for the seventh day. There's something special about the seventh day. And God wants us to know that. If you also notice too, if you would read through every day, it said there's evening and there's morning. A first day there's evening. There is morning a second day. And you get here. That's not present. Anytime there's like a pattern in scripture and it stops, you should take note. What is God trying to tell us here? The seventh day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the hosts of them. If you look with me at Genesis 1, 1 where I messed up uh, quoting it, but in the beginning, God created the heavens of, and the earth. This is the beginning of day one of creation. And how do we know it's the beginning? Because in 2 verse 1, on the seventh day, there's this conclusive statement. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished. They were beginning to be formed. Day one of creation, 1 verse 1, they're finished. Day 2 verse 1, six days, God made everything. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, all the host of them. I just, I also want you to notice, I don't know if you did as I read it the repetition that takes place within these three verses. See if you can just note the words that are repeated. Anytime we're reading scripture and we keep like, man, God keeps saying this over and over again. We should maybe take note. Maybe he's trying to tell us something. Just notice what words you can see that are repeated. Thus the heavens and, and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Now there's a number of things that are repeated four times. It says he finished his work three times. It emphasizes all his work. And then three times the seventh day is repeated just in three verses. Like, do you think it's complete? It is complete. Everything is done. As it says, all the hosts of them are finished. Other translations say it's completed in their vast array. Everything is done. Why am I making a point of that? Like everything is not still evolving, still changing. God brought it to completion. What he starts, he finishes and it, it is done and he rested. You have what you have and it is very good, right? We're not still evolving. Species are adapting. Yes. Like Canadians, like we're used to cold weather at times. We may grumble about it, but but we're used to it. I remember we spent time down in Haiti and when it was 18, 19 degrees outside, they had winter jackets and toques on because you adjust, you adjust, right? species adapt. Absolutely. But species don't become other species because God created everything and he is finished and it's complete. And as God completed his creation, I just want to point this out to you. God didn't leave creation. Like he just didn't make everything and then just leave us to ourselves. But God still sustains everything. He's not distant from his creation, but he's active in it. I just want to show a few verses that would back that thought up from first, or Colossians 1.17. It says this talking of Jesus, he is before all things and in him, all things hold together. Jesus holds all things together. He sustains things. And that same, same thought is present in Hebrews one, three, talking of Jesus. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So God created everything. He's finished. He rests, but yet God sustains all things. He didn't just make us and then leave. He's present with us, holding all things together. Look at Genesis two, two. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. <clears throat> By the seventh day, God had finished his work. He had been doing so on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Another translation would put it as in. He didn't like, he wasn't working on the seventh day and finished completed it, and then rested. But what does that mean that God rests? Does God rest? The word actually means cease more than rest, as is understood today. It's not a word that refers to remedying exhaustion after a tired, tiring week of work. Rather, it describes the enjoyment of accomplishment, the celebration of completion, one commentator put it. There's other passages that would speak to this. Isaiah 40 verse 28 says, have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. We read in this, this passage. I don't know if you heard it there in Psalm 121 verses three and four. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. So what is this? talking about God rests Well, one, it's, it's using language that's used of a man putting it towards God. Like it helps us understand what the Lord's doing. Like it talks about the earth is God's footstool. And we're not like, where, where's his foot going to come down? We're like, no God, he reigns. He's over all. Or he has us in his hand. We're not looking for his hand, but it's using this language of using God of like kind of shaped with humanity so we can understand God's care for us. So God rests, but actually mean the work is done. It has ceased. A a question for you in thinking through this, is God all powerful? Is he all powerful? Then what, why Six days. And not in, in one moment, he could have spoke everything into existence in one moment. And, th- and there it could have been. But I think the reason he made it in six days is actually for us. Think about this for a second with me. One year, the earth rotating around the sun, right? That's one year. I'm going to mess this up. <laughs> one month, the, the moon going around the earth. Generally speaking, that's one month. And then the earth rotating once is one day. In all of those, like, where does a week come from? If you think about it, all those other things, there's signs that we have in the heaven for those time periods. A week, God gave us a week. God gave us this time period of six days and rest on the seventh. Think about that. God gave that to us. And we see in verse three, so God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Again, one commentator, Derek Kinder says this, God's finished task is sealed in the words he rested, literally ceased. And I guess this is the Hebrew word, the root Sabbat, where you get the Sabbath from. It's, it's the rest of achievement, not inactivity. Like he completed it and he sat down, he rested. And then from this day, we see God set apart the seventh day as holy and he blessed it. And from this day, we later on see that the Hebrews are called to keep the Sabbath, the day of rest. One commentator says this biblical usage generally restricts blessing to animate beings, God, men, animals and so on. It's not immediately obvious in what sense a day can be blessed. Divine blessing on men and animals leads to fruitfulness and success. So it's paradoxical that the day on which God refrains from creative activity is pronounced blessed, right? Be fruitful and multiply. There's an action to that. Subdue the earth. There's an action, but bless the day. Partly the Sabbath is blessed by being hollowed, but there's also the suggestion that those who observe the Sabbath will enjoy divine blessing in their lives. So now we're just starting to pull the thread. We talked about day seven. Now we're starting to just think through the Old Testament to think about Sabbath here for a moment. The first mention of it is in Exodus uh, chapter 16. I want to be looking at Exodus 20. If you want to turn there with me, Exodus 16, when they're gathering the manna that God provided for them, they had nothing to eat out in the desert. God provided manna; It was like a type of bread and somehow they're like, okay, you can gather manna for six days. Every day, I'm going to give you more amount, but on the sixth day, get double the amount. It's the south. It's the first time it's mentioned, but where else is this mentioned? It's mentioned in the 10 commandments, right? Exodus 20 verses eight to 11, the fourth commandment God gave Moses. It says 20 verse eight, sorry. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it, you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner, that's like an an immigrant who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. In Deuteronomy, when the the 10 commandments are repeated. It's added like that. You're doing that to rest. Your servants can rest so everyone can rest. If you'll notice it's, it's six literal days, right? We would say, okay, for sure. God's talking about a week there, like work six weeks and rest on the seventh day. Referring back again to creation. I just want to show that, that that's linked together. If you also notice the Sabbath is not a time that they were to fast. It doesn't say to fast. They actually like would feast, they would eat on the Sabbath. You'd enjoy yourselves. It was for everyone. Just think, when did they, when do they take a day off in Egypt? What day did they get off there? They didn't get any days off. They were slaves. They're like, Hey, I think, you know, a month from now, I have something I need to do. It's like, you don't get to say anything. You're a slave. And now God, hey, you are my people. And I'm going to set you apart. One of the ways he's going to do that is you're going to work six days. On the seventh, you're going to rest. Like, what is that? The Sabbath. If you look at Exodus 23, verse 12, it says this again about the Sabbath. Six days you shall do your work, but on the seventh day you shall rest that your ox and your donkey may have rest and the son of your servant woman and the alien may be refreshed. Again, I mentioned in Deuteronomy, talk about the rest that everyone would be refreshed. That was a, a big thing. A day to rest, to be refreshed, to enjoy God, to worship him to focus on him. Just think about this too, in in terms of the order of the 10 commandments, the first four commandments are really focused on God. The other six are focused on people. But I'd say even the fourth commandment of taking the Sabbath and rest as you're focused on God and it allows you to be rested renewed as you're also focused on people. I I don't know about you, but if I like, if I'm just running rampant, I'm not good at loving other people. So we're to love God, the first four commandments, but kind of link that rest and then love others. And I think that rest actually helps us love others. Just just a thought. I'm going to go down that too far. But as we can see, Sabbaths, if we were going through the Old Testament, scripture after scripture after scripture, Sabbaths were a big deal for Israel. It set them apart as the people of God. It was a command to obey it was also a weekly rhythm to look to God and remember. And this, the same one who created the earth in six days and rested, like, we're his people. And we're, we're doing this. He gave us the command when we came out of Egypt to slaves. And now we work six days and we rest on the seventh to remember what God had done to find rest and to be refreshed, to continue on. So it was a command to obey and, and actually it was punishable by death to not obey. Of course, but as we know, or if you know, the Israelites, they didn't keep it. But they broke it. And, and many of the prophets in the Old Testament, speaking for God, brought this against them. I'm just going to mention a few places. Ezekiel 20, 23 to 24. I can just read it for us. Ezekiel said this. Moreover, I I swore to them, speaking for God, I swore to them in the wilderness, I would scatter them among the nations and disperse them through the countries because they had, had not obeyed my rules, but had rejected my statutes and profaned my Sabbaths. And their eyes were set on their father's idols. And the prophet Jeremiah said it often, but one example, Jeremiah 17, 27. Jeremiah says this. Speaking for God. But if you did not listen to me to keep the Sabbath day holy and not to bear a burden and enter by the gates of Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, then I will kindle a fire in its gates and it shall devour the palaces of Jerusalem and shall not be quenched. This, this strong warning of what's going to happen. You're not keeping the Sabbath. And that is what happened. Judgment came upon Israel, came upon Jerusalem. They did not obey the Lord. They did not keep his Sabbaths; They disobeyed. Again, in the Old Testament, the Sabbath day, it marked the people of God. It was a focus on God. It was a resting in him, a worshipping of him. And again, connected to the seventh day of creation. So again, I just want to turn your attention now. So thinking from Genesis, seventh day, God rested in the Old Testament. Here's the Sabbath rest for the people of God. And then now looking to the, the New Testament, we're continuing to pull that thread throughout. If you want to turn with me to Matthew Matthew 12, look there for a moment, as we look at the Sabbath, of course, we want to look at Jesus. Jesus obeyed the Sabbath. He was a, he was a faithful Jew. And of course, if you read any of the gospel accounts, you'll notice Jesus always got into trouble with the religious people because he, in their eyes, didn't obey all the rules of the Sabbath because there were rules upon rules, which were built around the Sabbath. A certain distance that you could travel, how big a load you can carry. MacArthur kind of points this out. He says this, no less than 24 chapters of the Talmud, the central text of rabbinic Judaism focuses on Sabbath regulations, meticulously dealing, detailing the almost innumerable specifics of what constituted acceptable behavior. Almost no area of life was spared from the From the details of Sabbath regulations of the rabbis, which were designed to gain God's favor. There were laws about wine and honey and milk and spitting and writing and getting rid of, getting rid of dirty clothes. Anything that might be contrived as work was forbidden. And honestly, I could have read you so much more. He pointed all the different details that were created around this, like here's the Sabbath, keep it holy. And then there was like rules upon rules, upon rules, upon rules, upon rules and Jesus day. As he enters into the scene. I'm just going to look at one of the occurrences that, that Jesus had with the Pharisees, with the Sabbath. If you look at Matthew 12 with me, verses one to eight. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. When the Pharisees saw it, they said, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Like they were eating but in a sense, harvesting grain. So, Hey, you can't do that. But they're eating. What does Jesus say? He said to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. And that's when David was fleeing from Saul and he hadn't eaten and he wasn't ready and he was hungry and, and they ate the bread. Because they, they would die if they didn't. There wasn't a fast food place around the corner that they could go to. And Jesus saying, hey, look, they were hungry and they ate. That's, that's okay. Verse 5, or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless, as in the priests are working. The, the priests are always working on the Sabbath. They're doing sacrifices, burning the incense preparing the, the bread, but they're, they're okay. And then Jesus says this, I tell you something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the guiltless, his disciples who are eating for the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. What a statement. The son of man is Lord of the Sabbath In Mark two verse 27. The same kind of, uh, text. The same event happening, Mark records this, uh, Jesus said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Think about that again as why did God make six days you work and the seventh you rest. He did not need to rest. He made it for man. He made it for our good. And as Jesus even pointed out, he was trying to tell the Pharisees, actually Sabbath is for your good. It wasn't to be a prohibition to chain them, but it's again to be a place of rest and worship. And Jesus pointed out actually the Sabbath was for mercy. Jesus did good on the Sabbath. The passage below, Jesus healed on the Sabbath. He helped those who are in need and even says there in verse 11, because they're getting him in trouble for healing. He says, which of you has a sheep if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, well, I take a hold of it and lift it out like that was okay. It's okay if your animal fell, you were helping rescue it. What does Jesus say? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. So that's even what we talked about. Like we are made in the image and likeness of God. The sheep was not. <laughs> we are to be above the animals. You're still have to treat animals with kindness. Jesus is saying, but how much more valuable are we? The Sabbath was meant for mercy, for doing good. Leon Morris says this, it was a day for honoring God, which meant doing good. Thus works for healing were not simply allowed. They were meant to happen. It was a day for refreshing people, for meeting their need. But the Pharisees, for the Pharisees, it was primarily a day for keeping the regulations that expressed their desire to honor God. Just like, hey, can I like, look at all the different things I'm either not doing or doing. You can see how much I really love God and they wanted to keep Jesus according to those regulations and rules. But I want you to see again, Jesus, he was the Lord of the Sabbath. That's quite a claim. What does it say there? For the son of man is Lord of the, the Sabbath. That term son of man taken from Daniel, that's, it's messianic. He's also, he's claiming to be God right here. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. He he determines, he'll tell you what truly what the Sabbath is about. And as I'm going to share here in a moment, I, I I want you to see clearly how Jesus actually, I believe, fulfilled the Sabbath. But first, just a question for you. Should Christians keep the Sabbath? Do Christians need to keep the Sabbath? So we see the Old Testament, Sabbath was made. The New Testament, Jesus is a Jew following the Sabbath. I just want to draw your attention to, again, to Colossians if you're with us as we went through Colossians in the fall, you'll know where I'm going. Colossians two sixteen to seventeen. I'm just jumping into Paul's letter here, to the church of Colossae. And but before, if you notice in verse sixteen, he says, "Therefore," and what he's talking about before, he's talking about those who have been saved. Those who have been saved from darkness to light. Those who have who have the wisdom of Jesus Christ in their hearts. Those who were actually dead in their sins and buried with them in baptism, verse 12, in which you were also raised with him through faith, powerful working of God. So if like that is true of you, then continue that thought. Verse 16, therefore, if you are in Christ Jesus, if you've been born again, if you're following him, if you've been made new, therefore let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or Sabbath. If you're in Jesus Christ, let let no one say, hold this against you. You're not following the Sabbath. What does he say in verse 17? These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. I just want you to see that. Yet some Christians would say, yes, we keep the Sabbath, but maybe it's, it's no longer Saturday, but it's Sunday, right? The, the Lord's day, the day that Jesus Christ rose again from the grave. Amen. That is the Lord's day. We, we worship on a Saturday evening, but obviously theologically, convictionally, we love in the future, we worship it on Sunday. The reason we worship on a Sunday is not just because it's the end of the week or it's the start of the week. It's the day Jesus rose again from the grave. We're happy at the place and space we're in at the moment that we can worship here freely. But for Christians, we can see that they moved to a Sunday. Acts 20 verse seven on the first day of the week Sunday, they gathered together to break bread In Revelation 1:10, the beginning of Revelation. John writes, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day it should be a Sunday. Christians have historically seen Sunday as the Lord's day and many believers have seen it as a Christian Sabbath. Our culture actually used to reflect that like a a Christian Sabbath on Sunday, a generation ago, like nothing would be open. No restaurants, no malls, nothing. It's not the case today. It's not the case culturally, even kind of within Christianity, but for sure outside of, of a gathering of believers, right? A Sunday, like anything goes, everything is actually open. But I want you to see one thing it's not a sin to treat Sunday or Saturday evening as a Sabbath, but it's not a, a sin not to. I don't think you have to stop everything as the Jews did in the Old Testament. We are free in Christ, Christ has fulfilled the law. And some can even have a strong opinion otherwise, and I would just take their attention to Romans 14:5. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. If you you think like for sure, hey, we should have a Christian Sabbath, while that verse in Colossians say, it was a shadow of things to come, ultimately fulfilled in Christ, as I'm going to point out to you. But if you're like, no, we should actually have a day set apart as a Sabbath to the Lord. Amen. Do that, be blessed. But if someone doesn't, we're not picking up rocks (laughs) to stone them. There's freedom in the Lord. Now I just want to pull out before I really zero in and focus on Jesus Christ fulfilling that. What are just some lessons we can learn from God created in six days and he rested on the seventh. We have this, this Sabbath, this rhythm of work, six days, rest on seven. What are some things that we can learn in our busy, everything going faster and faster type culture that we can learn about rest? One, I think the order of Genesis is is even interesting that actually rest is mentioned first before like next week as we look again at chapter two, which zeroes in on day six and then work is highlighted, but first rest. And think when would the day of rest begin for those keeping the Sabbath? Well, evening and morning began in the evening. They would keep their Sabbath, maybe with a big meal, but then you, you need to sleep. Like the day of rest, it was almost with rest the beginning. Just point out too that because we have to sleep, like how, mo- how long do you sleep? If you just say on average, easy math, you sleep eight hours maybe. And if you're like, I don't sleep eight hours, we should sleep maybe eight hours. I don't know. Teenagers, young people, a lot more than that. But uh, so one third, one third of your day, <laughs> you're lying on your back, you're doing nothing. We are not that strong right? We are, we are not that powerful. A third of your life is given to sleep. I want you to hear this. Rest shows like human rest shows God's in control. We are not, and we trust in him. Think about this. If I you to my house and I'm like, Hey, I got this new bookshelf because pastors have books. So you should get bookshelves. And if you need a pastor, who doesn't have books. You're like, I don't know about this guy. But, uh, so if you came over and like, Hey, I'm like, look at my new bookshelf You're like, why are you showing that to me? And I'm like, I'm holding it. I'm just holding it. You're like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm holding the books up. Like, it's, it's a bookshelf. You just gotta take your hands back. I'm like, well, you know, I'm just let it, let it do its thing. That's what rest does. That's what rest does to each one of us. It humbles us. Rest acknowledges. We're not the ones holding our lives together. We're, we're not the, man, if I, if I move back, if I stop, like it's going to, no, it's not going to fall apart because God, God has it. Rest acknowledges he's in control. Rest acknowledges we are finite and we don't have an in, unlimited supply of energy. Right? Even this past week, small groups usually we meet weekly. We, we took a break last week and primarily that was for our, our small group leaders to have a rest. To take a break. I don't know about you, have you ever, you've ever experienced just the running, the nonstop? I know our time down in, in Haiti, when we were there, it was following the earthquake, and all of a sudden, there was a lot of involvement. People wanted to come down and help in Haiti for, that was great. It was a blessing, but the mission where I was kind of like a small ministry and it blew up in terms of the amount of people coming down. And so literally it was like, we would have teams of like 20 come down and they would leave on the same day. Another team of team of 30 would come down and they would leave another team of like 40 would come down. They leave another team of 20. And it was just like, go, go, go. And I didn't know at that time. It's like, man, I really need a day of rest just burn me out. We need to stop. And, and before I, I just talk about this, you know, like work six days, rest on the seventh. I know we live in a day and age where there's differing schedules. Some people have two weeks on, two weeks off. Some people are, are just on call. You're like, hey, can't help you. <laughs> day of rest. Some people, like, that's the reality. There's some jobs that's just like you just need to do and you need to bring it to completion. You know, make hay while the sun is shining. You know, oil field, it's like the, the water's frozen. We need to go across. You'll get a break when things break up. When things thaw, that's, that's the reality. I know that, but just think about taking a break in the week. Think about the pattern that's for our good. Working six, days, resting seven. What could that look like for us? If we were to like, Hey, I'm going to, I'm working really hard, but I'm going to step away and take a break. One, I I think it's like what it looks like right now. Take time to gather with God's people be spiritually built up as we open up the word, as we pray, as we sing songs to him, that we'd be spiritually refreshed, that our focus would be on him. We'd stop our normal routine and we'd come together and focus on the Lord and grow spiritually. That would, You know what, when it, when it happens, like, th- is there a time that you can take a break from your job or responsibilities to like stop earning money for a moment? Cease from it. Think like, be still. What would that look like if you had a day or a moment in a day where you're like, I'm going to be still. Like Psalm 46, verse 10. Be still and know that I, the Lord, am God. If you took time in a week to like just be still before, man, I know uh, some people with young kids, you're like, where does that time come? <laughs> It'll come, I hope, one day. Even, even for us in this day and age in which we live, that is there a time in a day, in a week, that we put our phones away, that we quit checking our emails. We take a break from the texts we we rest. I'm I'm trying to do that now, like kind of my day off would, in one sense, be sometime like Sunday, Monday, sometimes I work on one of those, but I'll try to, for a time, not have my phone on me, not check my email. take a break. We could look like just going outside and enjoying creation, fresh air, walks, skiing, golf. I'm just thinking selfishly of my own thing there. It could be just like sitting on a chair with a coffee or tea, but doing nothing. It could be gardening. It could be having a barbecue. Like that's, that's refreshing. It could be reading a good book. It could be getting together with family and friends. It could be playing games. Eating food for sure. <laughs> it could be taking time to remember God. We're, again, we're such busy people. We're like, hey man, can we, can we have five minutes in the scripture? Can we have five minutes of prayer. Can we create that routine? But then could there be like a day where like, man, I could maybe spend a little longer reading scripture. Sit a little longer in this thought. Sit a little longer in this prayer. Just meditate upon God's word. I don't know about you. I need more of that. I need more of the times where I'm like, I'm just alone with God. I need to be quiet before him. I need to focus on him and not so many other things vying for my attention. It could even be taking a nap. (laughs) Amen to that. Those with young kids, (laughs) those with young kids, I would say, like train them up in the way it should go that you should take a nap, and that's normal. Little <laughs> verse out of context there, but <laughs> take a nap. And I just friends, I want you to see it's a gift. Work six days, rest on the seventh is a gift to be blessed. If you miss that gift, I don't think it's a sin, but if you keep missing that gift, God will make sure you rest. I think we've experienced that. I don't know if you if we just keep running, if we just keep going, 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 eventually God's like, and you're going to rest <laughs> and you're on your back, whatever that is. And he, he'll make sure we rest friends. It's like this. Ecclesiastes ten ten 10 says this, if the ax is dull and one does not sharpen its edge, then one must exert more strength. However, the advantage of wisdom is that it brings success. Like there's, there's wisdom. If you have an ax and you're always chopping trees to stop and sharpen your saw It'd be far more effective. Somewhere along the line, we thought, if we just keep running faster and faster, quicker and quicker, we'll be more effective. And eventually we wear down. Eventually we get grumpy. Eventually we're like, no one wants to be around us. We take our eyes off God. We focus on ourselves. That day of rest is like sharpening the saw. It's a blessing. Again, remember four four commandments focus on God, six focus on others. That day of rest helps us to love and focus on other people. And lastly, I really want to just hammer down this last point. True rest is found in Christ. True rest is found in Christ. Alan Ross says this, the New Testament uses the concept of Sabbath rest in a spiritual sense. Believers have ceased from their labors, have entered into the divine rest in Hebrews 4. And there remains a rest in the world of peace to come. Again, I've pulled this Augustine quote a couple of day, or a couple of weeks ago, but I think it's good. He says, you have made us, speaking of God, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. I believe in a spiritual sense, the seventh day of creation where God ceased from his work and then pointed to the Sabbath, which was a good rhythm. It, it defined the people of God. And then we see that it's for our good. We see we should be doing that. But I think ultimately it's pointing to ultimate fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Friends, we work, we strive, we try to do the right thing. I'm thinking spiritually, try to say the right thing, try to be good enough for God. But we sin. We know what we should do and we don't at times. But for some, listen to your parents, not watch a show or video, lose our tempers, put our trust in places other than God, lie, gossip, lust. The list could go on and on and on. We sin. We're sinners. We all have sin in our lives and we know that sin separates us from God. It must be dealt with. But not only we have sin, we also have shame. The guilt of sinning, the memory of it, that can become a weight that we just carry around with us. Self punishment at times, even though I know I've been forgiven, but I, I know what I did. I know the kind of person I am. I know I'm broken and we carry shame. We feel we must hold to it. But friends, Jesus came, he took our sin and our shame upon himself on the cross. The one who never sinned became sin for us, the one who felt no shame took our shame and brokenness upon himself on the cross. In John 19:30, we have recorded Jesus' words. He says, It is finished. What was finished? It was finished his mission, his work to be a sacrifice for our sins upon the cross. That's what he came to do. That was his work was he accomplished it. And it's finished and it's done. And friend, if you're a sinner like me, we can look to the one who has finished the work. If we believe and trust in him and we now receive his perfect life, his righteousness to us. And then we can rest in him. We don't have to keep striving. Keep like, can I please God? Can I do Enough. That he would be look on me with a smile. No, through Jesus Christ, he sees the perfect life of his son. His work is finished. And if we trust in him, being right with God, it's finished. It's complete. Sin and shame, the punishment we deserve from God, has been dealt with. Any who trust in Jesus Christ, repenting of their sins, turning from the things that are not pleasing to God, turning to God, faith in Jesus, we're forgiven. We're saved. The striving ceases, the need to spiritually work harder, faster, stronger to please God is done and rest in him. Friends, have you rested in Jesus Christ? There's this, this picture in the Pilgrim's Progress that John Bunyan wrote of this guy named Christian. It's an allegory, but it's like so obvious who they're talking about. But even Christian, he has this burden on his back. The burden of sin. He can't be right with God. The burden of shame. He's carrying it around. And then, friends, he gets and he sees the cross. And when he sees the cross, the burden falls off. Off his back, falls into the grave. And he carries it no more. That's the beauty of Jesus Christ, of the gospel. But, friends, I just wonder, young people, Have you experienced that time of the burden falling off this, the sin and shame being dealt with? Have, have you rested in Jesus Christ? It's not so much like, man, we just go to church. We just do these things. It's like, have you rested in Jesus Christ? Have you felt that burden come off your back? And a a question for all of us, are you resting in Jesus Christ? I don't know about you, but dealing with worries, anxieties. Looking at the news, the state of our country. S- whether there's a sickness in the family. I don't know if you're, if you're worn down, if you're depleted, if you're, if you're done. I'm feeling tired. I'm feeling exhausted. I'm feeling anxious in this past week. So I want to bring your attention again to the, just before, in Matthew 11, well-known verses Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 to 29. I just want to show you this, this invitation to Jesus. He said this, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I'll give you rest. He'll give you what? He'll give you rest. Another translation says, come to me all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. I'll give you rest. Friends, we can rest in in Christ, every day, every moment, this invitation from Jesus is for all. Whatever you're carrying, whatever you've been going through in the week, this is the invitation. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, heavy burden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. I don't want you, I need to continually go back to this promise. This promise is for today, it's for tomorrow. It's during the week. Friends, this is why we're like, man, I want to be in, I want to be in the Word. I want to be searching the Scriptures. I want to be praying and take that invitation. But then even as the day goes on, I don't want you, like I'll read something. I'll hear something. I'll think of something. Again, we're just finite, weak creatures. it's like, oh no, Jesus promised. He said, come to me, all you who are weary, all you who are burdened, I'll give you rest. That's a daily rest. That's a moment by moment rest, the peace of Jesus Christ that we can walk in. That's his invitation to us. Someone said this, I accidentally erased the name. I don't know who said it, but it wasn't me. So I'm quoting someone. They said this as believers set free in Christ, we're not judged by whether or not we keep the Sabbath day, Colossians 2, 16. Instead, we follow the Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus Christ. We find our rest in him and seven days a week are filled with worship of him. So friends, there's a, there's a rest in Jesus in the past. We believe in him. There's a current rest in him daily. This invitation, there's a future rest in Jesus Christ in heaven, Think about heaven. It's not going to be sitting on clouds with harps. I don't know where that comes from. What's it going to be? It's going to be dwelling with God. In the glory of God. No sun, because the light that emanates from God will be so bright and so glorious. Just think about that for a moment. That's, that's amazing. And what, what will it be like, there'll be no more wrong, no more worry. Just be like, ah. Do you know what I mean by that? You like, sometimes, man, if you're working outside in the summertime, it's hot, and you get a cool drink, and you sit down in the shade. Ah. Or it's a hard day, like you're just laboring, you're just going from this to that, the other thing, and you lay down in your bed, like, ah. You know, that, that just that moment. Or maybe with your friends, family. You sit down for this big meal. You sit down to enjoy it. You're just like, ah. But then we lose that. Because we live in this broken world. But in heaven, it's going to be that forever. This, this, this rest that will not cease in Jesus Christ. What a glorious thing to look forward to. My friends, even when we go through this hard world, these hard times, this invitation from Jesus, come to me, all you who are worried, all you who are burdened, I'll give you rest. What a beautiful promise we see here. So question for you, are you resting in Jesus? Do you see on the seventh day, God set it aside. He was finished with creation. Do you see how the Sabbath was to be a day set aside for worship to be refreshed? Do you see the need to follow that pattern of rest in a given week for, for our own good, actually for a blessing? Friends, do you see that true rest is found in Jesus Christ, the Lord of the Sabbath? Well, I pray that we all would see that. If you'll close with me, I'd like to end this time in prayer. Oh, Lord, I pray we would be able to rest in you. I pray for your grace, Lord, that you would seal this word in our hearts. That which is from you, I pray it would stay with us. I pray, especially in the days and weeks to come, we remember this promise, this invitation to come to you to find rest. Whatever would come. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.